Jim Durkin here, and on this week's episode, we're talking mule deer once again with the boys from Epic Outdoors, Jason Carter and Adam Bronson. This is our third and final installment of our mule deer series. Jason and Adam have been hunting consultants for 20 plus years now and probably know mule deer better than anybody. One thing that we didn't talk about in the podcast that I wanted to bring up in this introduction is their new conservation effort called Muleys Matter. This effort was born as a result of one of the most devastating winters ever recorded in the West, which we talked about here on the previous installments of the Mule Deer series. So in a nutshell, Muleys Matters is a drawing where they're giving away tens of thousands of dollars in cash and prizes. Prizes include rifles, optics, scopes, bows, backpacks, a five-day mountain lion hunt, and yes, cash. Cash that I must note is coming out of the pockets of Jason, Adam, and John Peterson. So I think that's pretty freaking cool. To enter, you simply send them any unfilled mule deer tag from 2023. Now before you say, what? I'm not doing that. They're not asking people to not hunt. They're just asking people to at least consider letting the younger bucks walk this year and not shooting something just to fill your tag. I think this is a great effort, and I hope you all go to their website, epicoutdoors.com, and check them out. Thanks for listening. This is the Hunt Quietly podcast. I'm Matt Ranella. with Jason Carter and Adam Bronson, Epic Outdoors. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll just keep introductions going. You guys are, are well known in the mule deer uh, atmosphere. Jason, you're, if I'm not mistaken, the most accomplished mule deer hunter in, in North America, right? I mean, well, <laughs> I, tried my, I, know, that's I like, tried my best to kill them all, but you know. But you're killing deer on DIY public land hunts, you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I I know you're humble, and, and I don't mean to embarrass you, but well, it, it is. Yeah, know, and it, Adam and I have, so Adam and I have been in business, you know, together and worked together for the better part of 15 plus years. And, and we both killed a number of really good deer. And part of that, you know, as we know, deer cycle a bit, and, and, and we've made a... A point of taking advantage of all the point systems in all the West and really working hard at finding the best units and the yeah. average units and maybe even up and coming units and whatnot. And then, and we're not scared to eat tags and we're not scared to try new things. And I, I, you, you could say I've killed more than my fair share, but I've, I would say I've ate more than my fair share of tags too. Like I've, I eat a lot of tags and, and, uh, didn't kill him uh, haven't killed a mule deer in the last you know two or three years because it, you know a lot of it i'm very picky but yeah you know when hunting was good we were out hunting and when hunting's bad we're eating we're tags. still hunting but we eat tags yeah, yeah. Exactly right the droughts played a lot, large part of that in some of our states that we spend time in utah southern nevada even other places too you know that we have drawn tags you know northern arizona and places like that but but yeah, you're right. 
you know, Jim, I'm Jason. He's, he's been, I mean, he's made that his mission and he's accomplished a lot in the mule deer world, but it's, it's not without a lot of effort and sacrifice time and all that, but. Well, it's, it's like the old saying the the harder I work, the luckier I get. And I, I know that applies to you guys. Yeah. There's no doubt. And you know, I'm still married. Adam is too. Don't quite know how, but we're both we're, of us twenty six <laughs> years and count. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Adam, prior to becoming the uh, consultant in the consulting world, you were uh, a, a wildlife biologist, right? Yeah, yeah, that's my I guess profession by trade. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in wildlife biology, and worked for Utah for about five years as a big game biologist. Of, you know. Uh, oversaw deer units, but elk, antelope, sheep, a lot of different big game species, just a game biologist. But prior to jumping in business with Jason and, you know, leaving the, the government role that I played and I had, had a great job, uh, learned a lot both on the job and prior to that in my training. But, but yeah, then in the private world, it's allowed us to do different things. And of course, now Epic Outdoors and, and, and as a hunting guide, both of, of, of us have taken pretty good chunks of our hunting life in in the guiding realm too which is both of us has slowed down almost non-existent in the deer guiding it just takes too much dang time yeah. if you want to hunt big deer for yourself it's hard to hunt big deer for yourself consistently multiple places and guide big deer it's just almost impossible to do it really effectively so jason stopped a lot earlier than i did and and i pretty much now just guide sheep hunters and and uh but yeah that is my background and but, yeah, it feels like just when it comes to mule deer, you want more of what you can't have. And I just mean, what I mean by that is, man, they're not easy. And, and they're so hard to hard, so hard to bag and find and and put on the ground and bring home. It, you just want them worse when, when it's harder. <laughs> That's as simple as it gets. Let's talk about mule deer across the West. And, you know, it could be, we, I mean, I'm sure we can get in the weeds, but um you know for a lot of years you heard the, the the doom and gloom about mule deer populations and and they're declining and and the whole nine what where where are we at as a whole with with mule deer and what you guys are are seeing um from from the states that you guys have boots on the ground in and you're doing the research on Think things are generally speaking, and Adam and I discuss this. This is literally every day. This morning, for maybe an hour and a half. Of course, you know we're in at six a.m. and and sometimes it just takes us a minute to get cranking them before we get cranking on the phones and waking people up and and taking care of business. But overall, mule deer are struggling, and we've seen a lot of things. You can you know you'll have ups and downs, and and maybe even call them cycles. In localized areas, you could see you could say you know Nevada as a whole didn't do that well one particular year when in 2016 it was unbelievable off the charts and and there might be uh, reasons for that you know such as uh, timely moisture you know generally speaking the last 10 years they've been in a in a major drought we have been here in Utah Arizona New Mexico you could you could kind of lump that all in, but within the drought period, then there's a, a little bit of timely moisture that can occur uh, during a critical antler growing season, call it. And and you'll see a, a slight bump in quality or a major bump in quality, even though we're still in a drought as a whole. And and so we watch that and, and you'll see, you know, slight 
upticks and downticks. But generally speaking, uh, deer deer are struggling. Uh, we, you know, with this long term drought we've had, and Adam, you can you know you know chime in here too. But I mean, we've seen it uh, where you know where you know the long term droughts have affected populations as a whole. Predation, you know, can obviously, and Adam can attest to this, take a little a major role in you know when there's when there's a drought, you have a lot of less little ground squirrels and a lot of a lot of other little critters struggle as well rabbit populations who knows what yeah you just get a a, it takes a a a different it's just challenging on deer as a whole when you got predators that still want to eat just like we want to hunt you know and uh and so anyway you've got that let alone the the antler growth itself um, you just, your populations are dwindling and then, and then, you know, you've got state departments that are trying to manage and you got frustrated hunters and, and hunt, you know, state departments are trying to manage for, uh, you know, uh, social management as well as biological managing, uh, what's good for the game, but then also what do the people want and to try to get that to mesh and in a drought time frame is, is challenging. You know, we're, we're, you know, you got buck tag numbers that are, uh, being adjusted and some states are hardly hunting does at all and and uh you know when a drought occurs you're still not hunting does and so how do you get those does to continue to reproduce and and uh, populations to increase and so we're just we're just seeing it we're seeing it in utah we've had you know a lot of our units we were talking this morning on some of our general areas we've got a third we're issuing a third of the amount of tags we've normally would issue in lots of country here in southern utah yeah and just a yeah maybe three-year period that's been reduced to you know by two-thirds down to a third of what there normally was and so and even outside you know the southwest states new mexico arizona nevada utah which jason really did talk about a lot which have struggled because of drought you talk about other states like maybe colorado wyoming idaho uh, montana or some of those states that even though isolated summers can be very dry and hard on deer, they they don't aren't normally susceptible to prolonged periods of drought. Uh, they're susceptible to it, but they don't have them as much. They have a lot more big, continuous summer range that usually has some okay habitat. But they also have a lot of challenges facing mule deer. Mule deer, contrary to like elk, elk can adapt and live about anywhere. They can be they're like be, a whitetail. They'll be pushed to areas of least resistance and then pioneer new herds and do all that and just keep going. I, I believe like a coyote and elk will be the last two animals in <laughs> North America. I mean, it's just kind of, they will go and live anywhere. They can um, live in three and four foot of snow. Yeah. I mean. And, and live on moonscape. It looks like where there's no trees, but, but mule deer aren't, they're very traditional. They're very habitual in their patterns from year to year, both in summer range, migration to winter range and back and as western populations have increased and highways and fencing and there's urbanization sensitive and, to predation yeah, just very way more yeah exactly way more sensitive to change in their habitat and people moving and living on winter range or in their summer range or whatever it and then being displaced in that regard and like jason said i mean their fawns are just you know so much smaller than elk fawns uh, or elk calves sorry in terms of being in a in a vulnerable window for a much longer period of the first year of their life than a cow elk can be. So you just got a lot of things get thrown in mule deer's direction. Um, you know, everything wants every, to eat a mule deer. You know, <laughs> it feels coyote, like, you know, coyotes and lions and, and, and a lot of other things. Even so, bobcats or bears or whatever. So 
collectively it just has there's a lot of pressures on mule deer you add it all up and there's there's little isolated pockets where you can point to within each state even that mule deer are really on the upward trend of doing well for whatever you know unique circumstance whether a bunch of habitat or fires have happened there or some really prescriptive prescriptive you know predator management intense predator management on a certain unit or two for a certain season has really had a response but collectively across the west it, there's nobody that's like hey we got more mule deer than we ever have it's all the opposite <laughs> right and it's it sounds like it's not just as simple as like hey as soon as we got to these this drought trend everything's going to be back to normal and mule deer are going to be flourishing there's a lot of factors that go into like you said with the highways the increased population the the, the development urbanization of a lot of these there's a lot of that. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we're building bridges for deer, you know, over a lot of these interstates and, and highways. You can call it their literal highways and interstates or whatever. And, you know, it, it takes a toll. It just takes a toll. And some of it is intangibles. There's intangibles when dealing with deer that you would have never thought really would make a difference. And if you add up 10 or 20 or 100 intangibles, that becomes significant. Yeah. And and I think like Adam was talking about with, um, you know, some of the northern states like, say, you know, Wyoming, Montana, Idaho, northern Utah, parts of Colorado, you end up with also winter kills. So, so you could be in a drought period, but then also have a harsh winter, you know, a drop in temperatures or, or a significant snowfall and it crusts over and whatnot. And deer are sensitive to that. And, and yeah. uh, you know, and so they can have all the summer range in the world, but if they die on the winter and you have nothing to, you know, partake in the summer range, it's just, it, you know, it just is what it is. And how are you just going to make more deer? How are you, how are you going to make more deer? And, and so, you know, the deer are going to take a, a backseat to people. Uh, you're not going to stop Salt Lake from growing. You're not going to stop some of these, you know, major winter ranges from, from, you know, people building out. It's just part of growth in society. And, it, you know, the old school guys that really, you know, were known for smashing some great bucks um, looked at us like, I don't even know why you're excited about mule deer. We've never seen it this bad. And now Adam and I look at it and go, I can't even imagine. It's so bad right now. I'm so glad I'm not just getting started right now. You know, yeah. It's taken another level 20 down. Years junk. Yeah, you know, hard to quantify that. Like, how do I? How do you put that in words? They're comparing, you know, the '80s, '60s, whatever, you know, to when we really got going, which would have been early 2000s or mid 2000s, you know, early 2000s, late 90s, whatever. Uh, but you you start, and then if you were to take that same time frame now, and you know, put 25 year old Jason Carter, Adam Bronson on, in the field. Um, you, you're, there's some real challenges in being a trophy hunter at this day and age. It's even more challenging um, for a, someone like myself coming from the East Coast. And, and, I, and I've always said this. I, I, mule deer, they're one of my favorite big game species, if not my, big, my favorite. Uh, I've always just had a fascination with them. And they, they always look the coolest to me. They, they're, they're just majestic. They're big. And coming from the East Coast, it's almost futile to get started. Yeah, it feels daunting. It feels daunting for me, and I live here some years. Like in these drought years, you're like, you almost feels like there's nothing. There's much. I can spend forty five days in a unit, and I'm I'm betting I'm not going to find a deer that really gets me excited. And I'm not talking about a two hundred twenty incher. I'm just talking about a unit that normally can produce one ninety plus deer. That sometimes that is 
feels like a ghost. It doesn't exist. So, yeah. But you're right. There's a lot of challenges. And I mean, even for our, us and maybe a lot of the listeners to this that live out west, we're all trying to juggle a million things in our own life. And you try to sprinkle in maybe other species hunts, but even though mule deer is maybe what you love the most, and you can draw a good tag or align yourself with two or three decent mule deer tags living out west a year, in your case, maybe one, and you come out and put all your can and effort into it, and and it may not happen, but you shouldn't feel bad. I mean, it doesn't happen to us sometimes. We have three or four tags a year, and we don't kill one, and we live here amongst it all. So it's yeah. just the kind of the reality of it right now. And when, when certain, we joke all the time that maybe we should have been hunting elk Carter the last two, three years. <laughs> I don't know if it's that much of a joke. I mean, we seriously, so we love elk. Adam and I have killed our fair share of big bulls, and, and uh, Adam really likes antelope. No. <laughs> <laughs> we tease each other about antelope. Antelope are actually uh, pretty darn fun. But we like to tease. There's, there, you know, there's a lot of, a lot, you know, there's a fair number of antelope hunting opportunities out there and whatnot. And there's a lot of guys interested in it. But when we'll we hunt them, but but we by far would, you know, we're really into the elk and deer and sheep and of course, you know, anything we can get that's once a lifetime type species. But but like Adam says, I mean, we're we're not we're constantly looking for the next best place. Um, we're we we overlook our own home range areas we were talking about it this morning within 50 or 100 miles of our own homes we don't hunt like we should um we'll travel you know northern nevada to the center southern center portion of colorado and and to hunt deer that we have right here um but having said that we want to hunt more than just one tag so we're going to be traveling no matter what each and every year just we're not I guess it's not all doom and gloom. Like I, I, we, we are mule deer are struggling like they've never struggled before. Um, but we're researching as hard as we ever have. We put in as much or more energy and effort than we ever have. It's more addicting than it ever was. Um, we can't wait that when, you know, to walk up on something that just takes your breath away, you know, and that's the, the feeling we live for. Um, so, you know, it's, even though it's, it is, Frust- joke frustrating about to say, watch. hey, we should have been hunting elk the last three yeah. years because elk have been a crazy good, um, and we probably would have been successful. It's also maybe you're still not going to give up hunting mule deer even no. when it's hard. No. Because there's that <laughs> chance, man, that you jump one buck or you glass up a buck, just to glass up a buck that takes your breath away with a tag or a unit, a tag you have a, a unit, uh, you have a tag in, is like, all right, that's that's all I can ask for. No, that's really all you can ask for. And then there's right. tags There's tags we get that, like, some of these states allow you to turn them back, turn back a tag, and maybe maybe you don't gain a point that year. Uh, each state's a little bit different. Sometimes you can turn them back, no problems, and still gain your point plus one, not get a refund, things like that. But we'll turn back tags. Like, a, if, it's a, if it's a unit, we can scout. Uh, I, I drew a tag here in utah and i didn't find a single deer and, and not that i knew about them all there was there's a lot of deer i don't i don't know about and there's also migration on this particular area that i, I wouldn't know about the deer that are kind of going to move in from you know thick forested country um right but having said that the writing was on the wall i we'd done enough scouting and and you network enough uh that you know that what that you know you you have a pretty good f- feeling that 70-80% chance I'm going to eat a tag here. And so I just kind of bit the bullet and gave it back. And and uh, maybe try to draw it on, on the right year. Uh, you know, so there's just a lot that goes into this into this stuff. A lot of, you know, a lot of 
you know, a lot of you know, time, energy, sweat, blood, tears, you know, a little right. So before we get away from like the management side of things from the state management level, what, what states do you think are getting it right and why, and what states maybe are, are getting their management wrong and why? <laughs> well, I personally think that states that manage individual deer on an individual deer herd unit uh, specific level are getting it more right. Um, and I guess some examples of that would be like Colorado, Nevada, Utah, units that manage, and, and Utah has kind of two hybrid systems. They have limited entry draw units and general season units. And they went to yeah. unit by unit in Utah. What's it been, Jason, eight or no, ten years ago? No. I don't know. Let's uh, call it that. We, we were all begging for it because you gave region-wide tags with fifteen to 20,000 deer tags good for one of the five regions of Utah. And any time one unit within that region started getting good, the, the hunting pressure would just shift there and crush Especially it. Especially with now, the age of social media. Yeah, just, was, people was, know. Yeah. People you, know. And you know, when one's bad, go to the other place. It's like, you know, when you went unit by unit, you at least can set season dates and permit numbers on a unit by unit level and, and adjust them every year. We've seen that in Utah and Nevada the last few years during these droughts have slashed their tags, even general season, um, tremendously. And that feels like, and you can do it the, immediately when you start having these poor production years due to drought. So you, you're not five years behind when you should start cutting tags within a broad brush general season approach, you know, like a, maybe a Wyoming or an Idaho has that has, you know, residents at least that can hunt anywhere in the state and bounce around the state and hunt the good areas Over when the they're good and go otherwise. Yeah. Right now. And, and, and we're the first people to realize, hey, we're, we're residents of Utah. And so, yeah, maybe our opinion should you know, matter more, be heard more in our state. But, hey, don't tell me how to manage things in Idaho or Wyoming. But if you just want our honest opinions, we, we, we've seen it in the states that have gone away from it. You know, Colorado has been almost 30 years now, um, you know. In unit by unit. Yeah, 20-something years, I guess. Yeah. Is. But Nevada's been, been it forever. Utah's been that way for 10-plus years. It's just the correct way. It goes back to what we talked about with all the pressures facing mule deer in the 21st century. You have to be able to react every year to responses in wildfire, in you know low farm production, winter kill, and cut tags on a herd basis yeah. year to year, or you're not going to ever be able to consistently manage that deer population. So... Uh, you know, it, that may point out some of the states that I think are more vulnerable, like a Wyoming, like an Idaho, to reacting. Montana. Montana to reacting to those subtle changes when you have so many tags, at least for the residents, that are just given unlimited. And you've got growing populations in those states, especially like Idaho, that's just bursting. And, you know, they, they draw the, ta the general tags for non-residents. But residents can still get them, and I realize that's a hard. That's a that's taken away like somebody's firstborn child. It's never been <laughs> or worse that way or worse. Exactly. You know, they, they don't want to see change. They well, see who wants? I don't like. We didn't. I don't. I don't like seeing change. We don't. Nobody really likes it. But it just at some point, there has to be enough realization that that if if you're going to complain and want something better. There may be, be more dra dramatic. And I think when you call it dramatic, it's just it's how management has to happen. It, it, you know, they, those management strategies have been in place for decades, and, and the mule deer have changed dramatically in 
50 years. So then when Adam's talking about, you know, Utah changing the unit by unit, he's talking more or less along our general status. We've always had the Ponsagon or San Juan or things like that. So, you know, that's where we've seen a lot of our change, which is the bulk of the tags are issued under what we call our general premise. And so, yeah, like Adam's saying, with this day and age, when something happens, we all expect a knee-jerk reaction in management. We, If we have something happen in six months, we're expecting as the public – we're expecting the game managing agency to to react now. Nobody wants to wait, right? Everybody wants to be is quick to judge a game managing agency and saying that Utah game and fish suck and they're ruining the hunting and they don't react fast enough. And these agencies are listening. We we've seen it in Nevada. They're listening. They they are reacting. And at times they'll do a survey and say, "Well, I just think it was a bad survey. You know, it was bad lighting. The flights weren't good. The weather wasn't good." And so there is a little bit of that. But generally speaking, the hunters in the field, I mean, they're, you know, are, are expecting game, game agencies to, you know, to know what happened, to do your harvest surveys, make sure, you know, and those, those cost money to do. But you need to know what the harvest surveys say. You need to know if people had a good, favorable experience or not. And we all expect, th- this day and age, we all expect to have a world-class hunt or we're disgusted or we're frustrated. And it, and so it's hard to manage game agencies are managing socially, you know, are people happy or what's, what's the best thing for deer? The best thing is that people get a tag once every 20 years and we go to no tags for the best thing for trophy hunting is to have no tags. We want deer to, to be, you know, five to eight to nine years old. And, and a good chunk of them. So people are happy. They see lots of big deer. But if you never draw a tag, does that mean you're happy? And so there's this challenge of, of what is a good, healthy age structure in a population? And when are, when are my people happy within a state? When, is, when are people ha- going to be happy with Wyoming and how things are going or Idaho or Utah or Nevada or whatever? And, and so a lot of these states, you know, when you have a major drought or when you have a major winter kill or whatever – what can a state really do to combat that? I mean, can you really can you really make the knee-jerk six-month reaction in management practice to maintain the level of quality you've always seen for the last 20 years? You know, no, you can't. You're going to have dips. You're going to have some major dips. And so I think the agencies are doing better. Uh, but like Adam said, general tags over the counter with all of the technologies we have in the world. All the technologies, all the know-how, all the social media, all the onyx, all the base maps, all the everything that we have as tools as a hunter. People have more time off than they've ever had. They they have a few more bucks than they've ever had uh, in their pocket, and people are putting more emphasis, more more into it because the 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 trophy's harder and harder than ever to to obtain, and and they're willing to work for it. And uh, anyway, all of these pressures are mounting, and it doesn't. It's not. It it doesn't doesn't over-the-counter general tags for residents just kind of doesn't work anymore and, and that's our gut feel um, right although although just watching how idaho's been doing it for non-residents taking away the over-the-counter opportunity for us up there that's kind of frustrating to watch right it's frustrating to be, not be able to go to arizona over-the-counter archery deer now and you know you have to first come yeah, first they, serve and they sell out in a day yep. and a half and then have another little sell-off here in a a few days later when things settle and they figure out, you know, what, how many tags. And I believe they're left. also doing a, a, a quota too. Once yeah. They, they, it's a, a harvest quota that goes back yeah. to, it goes back to why, why are you doing a harvest quota? Well, because you got to manage take. If you're going to manage a unit, you do have to manage take, you know, and, and manage tag numbers and, and do the best you can at the variables that you can manage. Yeah. You can't manage the weather, you know? 
what can you what manage? You what can you manage? And that's what they're that's what they're up against. And if you just have you have a major winter killer drought and you have over the counter tags, how, how do you manage that? You're just going to take it away in six months. It t- it takes time to change that. And and they're seeing it. They know the writing's on the wall. They're just trying to change as slowly as possible because residents are angry at, at even the thought of it. And I totally get it. We live through it here in our own state, so it's not like it's something we haven't seen and done. We're just. I, I mean, I'm not saying every general season unit is the Garden of Eden for big bucks everywhere in Utah, but it just, at least they're better or they're a, the ability to react every year on that unit's, uh, in that unit's benefit is there now where it wasn't when you have just a shotgun. Here's, here's 80,000 tags, go and do good things. People have a fun time in the hills. Right. Back in the day, you could do it. You know, got away with it. People are a creature of habit too. They, they don't, they don't like change, you know? They, they want to keep things well we have quo. we have things like the spike hunt now and people are basing family reunions around a spike elk hunt and now you know if, if you were even to breathe a word about taking away this spike elk hunt it would be it would be a crazy backlash right Logan yeah. be crazy yeah. <laughs> so anyway don't you think Logan what? yeah I know my family has been based around the spike elk hunt for quite a few years it's a good way for me and all my brothers to get right it, so. and if it went away be frust- be, yeah, yeah, very frustrating. Yeah, it's, so it's hard, right? People are people base their like to generations. To. Yeah, right. yeah. What do you What do you guys think, Jason? You brought this up a little bit ago about the impact of social media and the the loose lips sink ships. You know the the whole I shot this big buck here, and then everybody flocks there. Yeah, I think uh, you know personally, like I think. I think there's some of that. We're, we're, we keep track of stuff. I mean, you know, all the guys here in the office, of course you do. We're on social media. We like to see big stuff, and it's, man, there was multiple big deer taken here, it looks like, or or here, or there, whatever. But honestly, like, you, you've seen this social media as well as I have, Jim and, and Adam. I mean, you know, the, the whole the whole hunting for meat things out there, too. So I don't know if there's as many trophy hunters. I mean, people are just out to hunt and have a good time. Also, some people take pride, people in our industry that are, quote, consultants, and uh, and maybe even you would consider a competitor of ours, not really a competitor, but take pride in harvesting, you know, just average stuff or even does, does and ewes and cow elk or whatever. And so I don't know if social media is really the downfall. I think there's a number of things. I can give Adam, and Adam could give me an onyx point of somewhere to glass, and right at the crack of daylight, I can be standing at the exact best place to glass. Whereas before, I'm fighting my way through it, and I finally get a, get to where I think he was talking about, and it's two hours after daylight. We're just so more, much more effective as hunters. Part of it is onyx. Part of it is social media. Part of it is thousand-yard yeah. rifles. Part of it is... Optics. I mean, just uh, guns, bows, every, everything. Collectively, it's all... It's it's all there. I mean, you we can point to definite examples within social media that people seem to be at least on the outward appearance doing it for the beat in the chest principle. But I mean, if anybody knows 
and really cares about their hunting spot, I don't see a lot of it getting blown out of the water on their social media because they want to keep that secret. But just the principle yeah. of, I killed a big deer. Yeah, it, it's out there a lot. And at times when you go through the fall, especially when we're in one of those grinding periods, and if you get caught up looking at social media, it feels like you're the, the only guy world, that didn't get one. Yeah, the whole world's killing big <laughs> stuff right now, and I'm, I'm, I'm I hate terrible, that. hate that. But but you got to realize it's just like. You know, any other thing, you know, the, the ladies talk about it in the fashion world that everybody's, you know, at their best with their makeup on and all their clothes dotted up to the They nines, got the but, app to adjust all the features. You know, filters and all that. And, you know, don't get caught up in that. You know, everybody's still a, a mom at home that lounges around in their sweats with no makeup on, too. That's a real world. <laughs> but that's a real world for hunters, too. Same thing with the fisheye lens. And we're dealing with apps and adjust, making photos look better than they are. And there's all, all that, right? We got to deal with all that, but, but like Adam says, and at some point, the Pontagon has always been known to be awesome or to be one of our better units. The Henry Mountains is popular. The Arizona Strip is always going to be popular. Oak Creeks here in Utah—it's no secret. It's awesome right now. So I don't know that social media is blowing that out. I don't know that that's the case. Um, I think there are sometimes maybe like you're saying like you're indicating maybe there's something changing or on the horizon or or we're seeing a a reduction in tags here five years ago now equates to we're seeing bigger deer being harvested in a particular unit a whatever it is and so and you might see some of that on social media but uh i don't know i don't know that social media is the downfall of big bucks i do think it's not it's not helped i I know that i'm not gonna lie it's not helped but I think it may spur some people on more, you know, to work harder. Ah, they're doing, I mean, it may do that, maybe have that kind of effect. But I don't know how collectively how many dozens or hundreds or any thousands of big bucks are being killed because of that. You know, you know, before when we were all kids, Jason, we had to get a magazine. We had no yeah. email. We had no email. We had to get our magazine. Hey, it was Eastman's and Trophy Hunter. Before you had to say, hey, what, got, what did somebody kill this year? Oh, that's a big buck. I'd take that. But that was already nine to ten months after they'd killed it. And so, yeah, maybe in the heat of the moment it spurs you on or it gives you a, you know, hey, I'm going to dig in this last five days of my hunt and maybe, you know, as opposed to, yeah, this is a terrible year and I can't imagine anybody killing a buck right now and you're going home. There may be some and I, situations and like I, And I do think there's people like I, I've, I'm known for hunting the desert and I do feel like there's, I potentially have hel- uh, encouraged people to hunt the desert inadvertently. Right, that are giving them confidence to hunt the desert where there's go see no deer and be okay that's with right. it, and be okay with with the chance it. that maybe that one deer or two is there that you would take. And and so you know I I can see where that where that totally happens. I also think there's places like let's just say Gunnison, Colorado. There, uh, you know, and and I've got a lot of friends, clients, and whatnot that hunt Colorado as a whole, whether it be Eagle, Rangeley, you know, any of the hot places, uh, you know, that are known known for trophy hunters, you know, wanting to go there, Gunnison. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot more people waiting to the very last day to kill something special. There's a lot of people willing to do that, whereas before you would see people hunting really hard for a day and a half. And killing a, a, a deer they're willing to settle for by day three or four. And now you're seeing yeah. a full effort. You're seeing a full effort, whether it be staying in the side-by-side and, and driving all day long, whatever. That That's fine. They're there. They're there on the unit with an unpunched tag and going to stick it out to the end. You're seeing more than that than ever. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, I, I was going to say, we live in the, in the 
era of information and living on the East Coast and traveling like I do to the West, to Alaska, there's no shortage of, of information. I think people feel a lot more confident, a lot more comfortable traveling from the East like for example, I hunted um, public land in Colorado, and I mean, I knew the unit inside and out from Google Earth, from Onyx, from Google Earth Street View, and you know, so I was just very, very comfortable before I even went there. The the, the intimidation factor about having stepped foot in the unit was reduced, right? And right. I think that contributes to a lot more people leaving their home states. Pennsylvania, Ohio, yeah, uh, you know, West Virginia, oh, just you name it. They're they're just more comfortable. They're more. There's more information available. Yeah, I would agree. We both would agree with that. I don't know that I would lump that into like social media's influence, even though maybe some of that yeah, might be yeah. just technology. Forums. It's just, just technology. It's mostly technology. Whether that be, you know, like I said, Onyx and mapping solutions and. Google Earth and, and all of that. I mean, just that alone, if you're a hermit and live in your house and don't even, aren't even on social media, but you know how to use those apps, uh, you can be very effective and be a lot more confident showing a field. So yeah, I, I would I would agree. And, and social media's influence like the, let's just say Instagram, Facebook per se, I, I, I do think that is less less of a factor than all of the other technology things put together. Right. But it's right. just it's just there are the era we live in, and that's I guess what we're talking about with whether it be over the counter tags, and then you lump in a drought on top of that. There's nothing in their favor they can't get away, and that's what it that's what it feels like. They and so you know then you're you're seeing a, a slight uptick in unit A or unit B because of uh, of a tag reduction for the most part, and may, and maybe there's always going to be big deer in a certain unit because just the nature of the unit it's a thick sucker for you know 100 miles and there's just no way to get at them or whatever and so you're always there are always places that we have in the back of our mind you know we'll always have something special in them are we are we at the point now with point creep and just all the struggles that mule deer face right now are, are, are we at the point now where you want to hunt mule deer in the next 10 years you just better start getting points whether you have intentions of going out there or not I mean, is that is that do you think that's where we're at where it's like man i i don't have any immediate plans to hunt uh but are we at the point now where it's just like get your points while you can yeah and i think we've said that for 10 plus years even not just 2023 and, and to take it a step further you know, if you've if you've paid attention to, I guess what we've been trying to say and communicate to our our members or hunters that ask our opinion on hunting mule deer, it's that yeah, you're going to have to be willing to to go on hunts more often. Don't you're not going to be able to save up for those twenty plus point you know tags once in your life and tr- and try to just cash in on that because. In many of those states, you're too too late to, to 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 jump in the point chase for those twenty twenty five point units that are that's what they're yeah. doing right now. You're going to have to have a mindset of all right, Colorado or Wyoming or these other states. You know, you're going to have to go there much more often. Be willing to accept this is a unit that I'm in the field that has good genetics and it meets certain criteria that are important to me, 
and I'm going to go give it the best I have and live with that. That's what you're going to have to do. If you're going to hunt mule deer regularly, even if you have a state that you can get a general season tag in, like Utah, that's turned into some, for some reasons, a two to three year wait in between tags. So you've got to have other alternatives of that same interval in other states, or you're simply not going to hunt mule deer enough. It's, it used to be, it feels more like Jason 10 to 20 years ago, you could just, you know, Colorado wasn't as popular, popular right. as it now. You could hunt tags which, with, with uh, units with far fewer points than it takes now. Yeah. So, but but now, unless you have the points already built up and 10 to 15 plus uh, invested, your mindset has to be totally different. You have to go more regular, and we preach that like we're, we're flogging a dead horse, it feels like. We sit all the yeah. time. Yeah, it's Adam's one hundred percent right, and there's, and there's big deer. We're looking at even so. So Adam mentioned even for residents, we're talking two, three, four years in intervals and in getting a tag here locally, right where we're at. Uh, but these units right here are as good as as many units that we're traveling, and that's what I was saying in 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 the center southern part of Colorado or wherever northern Nevada I went this year. I mean, we have as good a hunting right here, and I can do it every two to three years or whatever, four years, you know? Um, and, and so we just don't value it like we should. And I think there's a, there's units in Colorado and I'm not really going to go through the unit numbers per se, but, that, but I had a guy this morning and he says, Hey, you know, I've got one point, one preference point in Colorado. And he said, I've normally hunted unit X and I kind of veered away from unit X because it hasn't been that good compared to what it once was, but I'm thinking about going back. Would you go back? And I'm like, you should absolutely go back. And and I don't know why necessarily there has been a slight tag reduction there. Uh, there was also rain. There wasn't a week this summer that didn't have rain in this particular area. That could have could have attributed to it. But you're just saying I'm just saying those uh, unit X has always taken zero to one point. Always there's not even a point creep there. And and so the genetics there, the potential of there, it's super thick in a lot of it. There's there's some escapement. I guess is my point. It's big country. It. It's several units combined, and, and it's just huge. You can't even cover it all. So I do think there's things out there. I, I think it's imperative you get points. I think you should, Jim, you should absolutely get points in Nevada. It, it, it's inexpensive, and, and why not? And you get to apply for sheep and other things, too, and get a point for all of them. Like, why wouldn't you do that? Uh, knowing down the road 10 years from now, you'd be glad you had 10 points. And 10 points would actually yeah. get you uh, an archery tag in the northern part of the state or whatever. Maybe not the best unit in the state, but you'd have a dang great hunt. And so, you know, that's what I guess that's what our job is. It's what Adam and I are doing nonstop is there's short-term, mid-term, and long-term plans. The short-term plan is what can I do every year? Midterm, what can I do every five years or whatever? Long-term is 10-plus years, maybe even 20 years. And maybe I'm saving my Arizona points to do something special someday. All the while, I'm going to Colorado every year or every other year. And and then I'm doing Utah general point plus a limited-entry deer point. And maybe maybe I do get lucky and draw the Ponsagon or Oak Creeks or Henry Mountains. But in the meantime, I might go on the, one of their general areas. And, and then in the, in the middle of it all, I'm doing Colorado. And then I'm getting some points in Wyoming, and maybe I'll do a Region G or H someday. And I just I think there's, it's a little bit of everything, and that's what we do. Is we're, if we just stuck to Utah, we wouldn't have killed as much as we've killed. And, and, uh, and the experiences and, and everything, you've got you've to gotta be able to tra- be willing to travel and stay State boundaries aren't what they once were. The state boundaries might as well be a county line or 
what it's an arbitrary boundary it's we're well people are willing to travel and do whatever it takes you're coming from clear back east and whether it be colorado or wyoming or utah it's kind of a dang long ways no matter which state you choose you know what i mean yeah and there, there's you know there's a lot to be said about hunting more often and taking the opportunities when you get them and the perfect example is and i i waited 11 years and cashed in points uh, for a unit in Colorado and I, I ate a tag. I could have shot, you know, a few smaller 140 class mule deer, but I wasn't out there for, for that. And, you know, a guy that, uh, I know his brother goes out there to a one point, a zero point unit, you know, and crushes a giant, (laughs) you know, it's just like, it's just, you just got to get out there and hunt, whether it's 10 points or zero points. You know, Colorado is a classic bit. example of that, and that's my my wife had over twenty points, and we we have as much intel coming in here as anywhere, and we go, and she ends up eating a tag, and 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 that was fine. She wanted something that I would want, like she's like, if I'm going to kill something, I want to be something special for you and me, and uh, and she takes pride in in all of this just because she's done it with me, and and uh, basically we've grown up together so to speak um and so anyway it's just it's one of those things where you know she could have hunted 15 times in in that amount of time you know and and many more experiences you know what i mean we have so many people that have 20 plus points 18 plus points 16 plus points and once they get you to 16 or you end up with 16 a how did i get here can't believe i haven't hunted three or four times by now and then B, what am I going to do? And I want to make sure I maximize these 16. And so then you apply for something you almost can't draw on. You end up not drawn because there's a little bit of point creep. And then you end up with 17. And then you do the same thing the next year. Now you're at 20, 22, 24. And then you go, and it's an off year. <laughs> you might not even see a 180. And it, it, You know what I mean? And so just a classic it, example think- right there it plays with you when you wait so long because you have these crazy expectations and you're like, Oh, you know, this is my one and only chance. I'm never going to, you know, wait 15 more years to shoot one, but that's just, it, it realistically isn't the case, you know, and, and looking at at some of these, these overall draw statistics, like specifically for Colorado, like I'm, I have them in front of me, like in 2015, the overall draw success rate was 32%. And I know this fluctuates based on tags, based on applicants, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, in 2022, it dropped down to 22%. So, you know, you can infer that it's no. harder to draw ta- more more tags as time goes on, as, as more people put in, as point creep keeps happening, et cetera. So, you know, well, I, I think we, it's... And I think we hear Adam and I... And Adam, you can attest to this too, but I mean, we are constantly challenged with guessing what it's going to take to draw tags. People are wanting to know, like, can you kind of telling the future, right? What's it? This is normally a, a 50-50 with one point, but what do you think? And maybe there's a date fluctuation. Maybe it's it resets a week and everybody's excited about a week later date or whatever. Be a little bit better chance for tough weather, bring them down on the winter range and they might even start rutting or whatever. And so you're going to see an influx of applicants. It's just an example. And now it's going to take two, three points. And we're constantly telling guys, you know, this says it took one point last year. What did you have last year? Well, I have one right now. And it took, it was a 50-50 with one. 
I'm going to have a 50-50 shot. No, you had zero last year, and it was a 50-50 shot with one. You had zero last yeah. year. What were you? Yeah. What tier were you in last year? So you're constantly trying to guess, A, how many points did you really have when the drawing odds mattered, when, when, when those drawing odds were built? And then B, what is the what are people looking to do? Is it, is this a year that there's a lot of a lot of new applicants coming out of from building points only to actually being in the draw for attack? Yeah, so. you, and and superimposing like Jason alluded, regulation changes, uh, season date changes, equipment changes, whatever that might change some people switching from rifle to muzzle loader or vice versa. Um, or yeah, just later dates or earlier dates in the case of some other situation that might be better in a particular unit. Those things are all things you try to superimpose year to year. But, but bottom line, back to kind of your original question. Yeah. Build points. Points are assets to drawing tags down the road, but in general terms, if you're newer to that game, especially, or if you've used your points and now we're back more on the ground floor level, be prepared to go hunt more often. We are big advocates of doing that and that if you hunt more often on more regular intervals you're probably going to come away with something that's more satisfactory to whatever your personal criteria are than waiting another 10 to 20 years and having all your eggs in that one basket one little five to seven day window in time it's like adam said just like the adjustment we're going to see in new mexico with not allowing scoped muzzleloaders you know, I mean, that's a big deal. And then that's yeah. going to help people that are willing to use an open site muzzleloader. Right. I mean, it's, sure. yeah. it's something that's on it's going to save a lot of animals. Yeah, it will be right. It will like, it's a no brainer. It will. I mean, I mean, that's kind of a no brainer. I yeah. think people that uh, we use long range muzzleloaders and long range muzzleloaders, just a modern muzzleloader scoped, being able to dial, use a turret, use a smart range finder, figure out what your bullet drop is. And you can dial for it. And, and, and so long-range muzzleloader, I mean, it could be 150, 250 yards, 350 yards. It's not that big a deal anymore. So I think going back to the open sites, significant. And, 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 but that's an example of you're going to see muzzleloader you know, opportunities being a bit easier to draw. If people really understand the regulation change. Now, there's a lot of guys that will still won't, won't realize that it's changed to open site, and they'll still be applying. But, but once it really takes effect and everybody knows the rule, you might see a, a, a little bit better drawing odds there. So things do come and go a little bit. And, you know, you just, you just kind of roll with it. And being versatile as a hunter, being willing to do archery when it makes sense or rifle when it makes sense or, or muzzleloader or whatever, you know, it helps you have options. It, it just helps you have options. I love it when people say, I don't want to build points anymore. I'm just going to buy all my opportunities. It's the way it's gone anyway. And I'll just get, you know, some of these first come first serves and over the counter. And, that, and that's fine. You can, it's all good. Like I'm absolutely good with people doing that. Um, you know, let your points purge and whatever you've gained so far at some point, it'll purge with time, uh, depending on the state. But, but you, you're finding, you know, hunts, the cost of hunts isn't that cheap anymore. And landowner tags are kind of hard to come by and over the counter opportunities are dwindling. And the first come first serves, we had the, you know, great big fiasco in Idaho where people didn't get a lot of the tags they planned on. And now they might wish they had another opportunity with gaining just a couple of points and a few of these states would have given them. And so it's not, we're not out there trying to convert the world to, to gain points. We've been gaining points, uh, you know, and applying and gaining points for 25 to whatever, 30 years, long, long time and know the value of it. And the value hasn't changed. Are things a little tougher. Yeah. 
yeah, things aren't as easy as they once were. Well, so you guys are consultants. Uh, I think you've been doing this a long time. I mean, I was a member of Hunting Fool way back when, when you guys were, were doing that. The good days. And, the good days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you guys are consulting people. How do you deal with increased clients and managing your own hunts versus their expectations and dealing with um, more people using your services and etc. You know, you, how, how do you deal with that over the years? <clears throat> well, I think you know if you read our publication, we we try to talk when we break units down. For instance, we try to talk more to the masses. You can't give every intricate detail of every single unit. It it, it becomes a an issue of page space. I mean, you can't have a three hundred and fifty page magazine every month that that goes to print. You know, it's just not possible. So, but the ability to call and talk and consult with us on a one-on-one basis, and you know, we have Jason and I, and we have three other guys in the office that do this all day, every day. That that's all we do is is help plan hunts for whether they be licensed application clients or regular members of Epic Outdoors, and whether they need self-guided opportunities and units that fit their criteria or guided opportunities. That's that's all we do. So, as been said before, we're immersed in it. I don't really know that the volume, I mean, because obviously, you know, that was a former life that we used to have. And you, I guess when you reset and hit, hit go again on Epic Outdoors, which is more or less a reboot, reboot of Jason and I and what we've always done, you start with zero. You start at zero again. So, I mean, to yeah. some extent, we're still, I mean, you'd say we have less clients now than we did, you know, 10 plus years ago when we were under that hat. But so... I don't know that you could really say that the number of followers or members, while that influences necessarily the information we give, we still try to give the best, you know, cut to the chase information to help you make your own decisions on each individual state. We have personal, I have personal bias in the way I like to hunt elk, deer, sheep, and other things. Jason has some for him that are different than what I have. We try not to let too Adam, much of our... Adam was teasing me this morning. I do a hunt all the time, a particular hunt, and it never pans out. <laughs> it never pans and out. The, and the, and but it's my, hunt, it's my the, thing. When the hunt ends that year, he said, that's the last year I'm ever doing that. I'm all in and, and he's excited. Plan, he's planning that hunt and again. And you're planning it out. And so... Um, but, I, but anybody else would hate it. It wouldn't be... It wouldn't even be something people would want to do. As as we've gotten a little older, I have definitely gotten more willing to accept, if you can even call it defeat, rejection. I, I don't know, you know, un, the lack of harvesting. It, it's and and I'm not talking. You know, we don't. We most of us, Jason and I, burned most states. We have burned our top tier points of almost everything. There's a few exceptions. Jason reminds me of my maximum points for moose in Montana, which I have no idea why I have, but I have them. You know, but on other deer and elk, <laughs> we're going to kill a big bull someday. <laughs> I I don't know in a swamp, some swamp. But, but we try to our personal stuff has evolved, and we try to encourage people you know to make that plan for them specifically in their phase of life that they are, because when we were in their twenties or early thirties, it was different than it is now as our as our maybe we have more longevity in our current job and we have more experience and maybe a little bit more time to now leave than you do when you're in your twenties and thirties that's natural for everybody don't let that bother you do what you can when you can do it. But uh, I guess to answer your questions on how do we manage expectations or the information we give to the volume of clients we give, I don't, I don't think that's really 
necessarily changed, I guess, Jason. No. We, we just try to be as well, accurate and up-to-date on current, our current we don't men- even, mentality. The question you're asking is like doesn't even cross our mind. So like we write the magazine. We write. We are transparent. Now, am I going to tell you every little thing that I'm wanting to do personally? Well, no. Of course not. I, I'm not, right? But I'm also not real. I'm not hiding it. I'm doing stuff that we talk about in the publication. And most people that listen to our podcast, of course, Jim, we have an Epic Outdoors podcast. So anyway, but but having said that, most people that listen know what our plans are because we tell people, you know, Adam has his preferences. I, he has. We all here in the office are talking about our general units here in Utah. Okay, for example, this morning, all of us and 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 each one of us have a different plan. We all have a different plan, and they're they're big units. We could all go to the same unit and be just fine, and we could help each other out and never get in each other's way. But we all have different preferences. People know uh, some units better than others. Some habitat types I don't like. I will never hunt the unit closest to my house. You know, I just don't like it. But we have other guys in the office that are following giant deer in that same unit. And I'm good with that. And if they called me to come help them glass off the hill, I am absolutely going to be there. But it's not doesn't interest me. And that's the way our whole membership is. That's the way the whole talking about all these states are. You know what I mean? I, I think you just, you, you know, you, you answered it because you guys are, are covering everything and you're not specific on one area and so because you you cover the entire west you know you're giving information about each state and and trends and you're writing about it so you're not focusing on one one area that would that would impact it because i guess what i was thinking was like if if the world found out jason carter hunted unit x in colorado There'd probably be an influx of your. <laughs> you know, and what's <laughs> funny about that, Jim? What's funny is it happens. Like, one of us will hunt one yeah. unit, and for whatever reason, you know, whoever we tell, whatever, the next year we'll go and we'll, we'll run into somebody else that says, Oh, yeah, I thought you'd be here because uh, Devin hunted here last year, or Jason <laughs> right. hunted last year. So yeah. it, it, it still happens. But, but what, I mean, we take pride. Adam and I have hunted so many different units in Colorado. Huh. It's funny you bring that up. I'll, I'll kill, a, kill a big deer in 35, 36. I can't even remember the last time I've been back there. You know what yeah. I mean? I killed a big deer in unit 22. I, I, I go, well, I'll go back, you know, occasionally my dog, like Ashley, she'll hunt a second season uh, once in a while or another kid or whatever. But then I've hunted 10 and 61 and 50, you know, unit 54 and 68 and 79. And I, I mean, pick one. We probably have some kind of experience in there with our family members or consultants here in the office. And next year, I'm going to do something totally different, just like the year after and the year after. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? It's it's just, yep. I mean, Adam's been in 66 or whatever. There's so many units. Yeah. You have to, and we've we've evolved. Our thought, we, we've gone back to units 10 or 12 years in, in intervals of 10 to 12 years. Not, not repeatedly, even though there were opportunities to pick up turn back tags or landowner tags and do it. There's just... Certain things feel right when they feel right or feel riper now than they did six to eight years ago for the yeah. last six to eight years. And so you want to go back. And so those t- trends, we'll st- you'll still pick up those if you read our publication and, and all that. And, and trust me, when we write that magazine at the first of the year, rarely do we have our units all picked out because we're still, we still let, let the luck of the draw happen. We put in for the type of units that we want or the window slot of units and time frame that we want to hunt in the seasons. And then react when we don't get or we do get what we get and then fill gaps in between after that. So, But I think part of it too is 
We live for finding that something new. We live for that. Like, and so we're suckers for, man, this, they, they had tag cuts from, you know, three years ago and then, and then last year and then this year and then so-and-so hunted a second season and seems to be like it, it could be, you know, making sense to think about the, going to that unit and how are we going to get there. And there's strategy always with everything you're doing in life. You have strategy with the hunts you're doing and it's based on the knowledge you have. Or are gaining, whether it be social media, whether it be Epic Outdoors, or an online forum, Monster Muleys or Bowside or whatever, and relationships you have there. So, you know, everybody, everybody feels like they're on to something cool and exciting. And they could tell me their plans, and they do. Adam and I have talked to probably 25 plus people today, and there's, and our, the guys that work for us and work here at Epic Outdoors are consulting right now. And everybody feels like they're on to that next best plan, but it's all very unique to what they want. Everything is very unique and specialized and based off the knowledge they have or are gaining. And, uh, and it's all different. So we don't even, we don't even think about some of the things you're, you're thinking about or, or, you know, we don't, we're not saying, like you said, you're talking about everything. So you're not going to blow anything up. We're not going to say, you know, Pine Valley is the best general in Utah per se. Although everybody knows it's got great genetics and at times it has produced some incredible deer. So has Zion, so has Beaver, so has Panguitch, so has whatever, you know, you could list them out and in the Wasatch front, I mean, you're seeing a few big deer on the late hunts and, and whatnot. And so, but doesn't mean we're going to rush there. It doesn't mean it's the new best unit. There's just enough people in the field and enough tags out there that a few people get lucky. And, and so there's that factor as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Do you, do you guys get criticism from locals about your services and all oh, you're helping all these non-residents come out West? No, and, no, 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 the residents see the thing is that it's really nice when there's a finite number of tags, you got a certain amount of resident tags, you got a certain amount of non-resident tags. And so you don't have the spillover, you know, be like, Oh, oh right, man, right, look at you. all these non-residents. Okay. Like the guys in Wyoming, they complain about non-residents. So, so bad. <laughs> there's a finite number of tags. There's going to be that number every year. It is what it is, right? It didn't change. Yeah. Oh, I just felt like there was so many more people here. Thanks to Adam. No, like they gave that many tags last year. You know, you guys are the ones that are setting the tag numbers. So we don't, we don't really get the, now, if we were to say everybody has local knowledge, Jim, you have local knowledge about Pennsylvania. If you were to tell 10 people about the one big deer you knew about and then whatever, 145 inch or what, 150, 60 <laughs> inch or whatever it is, and you sent everybody there or, or had people on this particular landowner's boundary, you know, crushing his fence or whatever, or lease the property next to it and kill all the bucks that happen to be on your place. You know, that landowner might be frustrated. I could see if people were frustrated at that, but we don't, we're not doing that here. You know what I mean? Not saying, oh, you drew the ta tag right here. Go right here and right here and right here. We give people good help, but we don't, it's not like, like I said, we've already admitted we're, we're going to other places. We don't even put the value into our local hunts here like we should. You know what I mean? Well, that's a, that's a good point. You know, like you guys aren't creating tags. Those right. tags are allocated no matter what you provide with a with a consulting service. Or the drawing not. odds don't, in most, a lot yeah. of cases, you know, the drawing odds don't, they don't affect each other. Non-resident odds are non-resident odds and resident odds are resident odds, you know, for the most part. Right, Bronson? Yeah. There's a few weird 
scenarios for sheep and all that in other yeah. states where you're pulled together. Pulled together, Idaho. and we get up to 10% or we Idaho. get up to something. Idaho yeah, was an exception yeah. to that, too. But for the most part, um, yeah, I don't think we get – I mean, we don't hear it if we get it. <laughs> Let's put it that way. If the locals don't like us, I guess maybe I don't hear it. But. Well, going back to the point creep and getting points – in every state. I, I, I think that's, that's great advice. Having said that, what do you think with getting points in all the Western states, what do you think the 10, 15, 20 year outlook is for mule deer hunting in, in the United States looks like mm. if you had a, if you had a, a crystal ball. Hmm. Jeez. I, I think honestly, it, Despite even Game and Fish, the, some of the agencies that, that maybe we talked about earlier, there are managing things more proactively on a unit-by-unit, smaller-scale basis. I still see, just with the challenges and the susceptibility of mule deer are to change, whether that be environmental, whether that be for encroachment, whether that be, you know, whatever, which encroachment has to do with, you know, houses highways yeah. all the, all the things that that brings I, I still see it somewhat continuing down the same road it is despite our best efforts just because of the challenges that mule deer are to manage so it goes back to what we said a little bit earlier you are going to have to try to do what you want or get what you want with less meaning fewer points but just get out there and hunt you're not going to be able to do it maybe as often even in the states, you know, I foresee that probably someday the Wyoming and Idaho is going to stop um, over the counter to, for residents. Um, I, I, I see they're that. just going to have to. I, I, I see that. And only we're talking twenty years. Who knows? Ten, five, whatever. But I do see that those things are going to change, and that then that you'll be able to maybe react and do things that can long term make them more stable. Doesn't mean you're going to avoid big winters when they happen. Doesn't mean that after wildfire or drought or things like that, you're you're not going to be able to counteract things like that. But at least you can do something annually that makes that that backs off the pressure. Whether and that's just from hunting pressure. The effective hunter is an effective hunter these days yeah. with all the tools that they have in their toolbox. I do see potentially continued limitations on technology and equipment. I do see that as we've continued to add things to the toolbox. We're already seeing it in units. We alluded to it in New Mexico, Utah, other states are looking at those technological advancements. They've already made some changes. I I do see there having to be sideboards like that. Otherwise, everything is just additive. The the impacts on mule deer or bucks or mature bucks, however, whatever you're interested in, everything is additive when it just keeps getting better and better and better. You know, from guns, optics, technology, equipment, gear, trucks, you know. ATVs, yeah. everything like it's all additive. At some point, that additive has crosses a line of, you you can't keep adding any more. We can't sustain what we're doing. So I we're do, just too too good at hunting these days. Well, essentially, I think, it's, I think it's heading that way. I mean, I I mean, I know there's some people that say, hey, I just I like to just hunt with family and we just go hunt and shoot what we see. And so, but but like we've alluded, because tags are harder to get or they take more points to get when. More and more, the increasing trend is when you get a tag, you put more into it, whether that's your own state or it's the neighboring state, because it's you don't get them as often. 
so you put more time, resources, efforts, gear, you know, everything, tools in your toolbox to make it happen. I do see that probably, you know, there may be, have to make some concessions in that regard, but I, I unfortunately, I don't see the the widespread, you know, declining trends of mule deer. I don't, I don't really see it stopping. I hopefully see it slowing down in the places. It's hard. I, think, I don't see it stopping. And I think when you're in your own forest of a drought condition, whatever it is, it's hard to see out and it's hard to see the real positive side, but but uh, I'm I'm with Adam and you and you know we used to be able to hunt you know the Arizona Strip on an over the counter archery. That no matter how many deer, no matter drought or no drought, no matter anything, no matter what, that will never come back. It, it's yeah. not going to come back. Okay, we're not going to just go over the counter on the Arizona Strip. Not it's gone. it's gone. And and I feel like that's what happens. That's why. And I and my heart goes out to the residents of of Idaho and Wyoming. They can see this changing. They can see it. And they, it may be five to ten years down the road before it fully implements. But they they can see it, and they they're grasping at it. They don't want to see change. I don't want to see change either. I don't like it. And but it it just happens. And when you have hunter numbers that are either stable or increasing, and drought that is constantly causing a decrease. I mean, the, or winter kill or winter kill cases, right? yeah. up there winter kill. But but drought down here, whatever. And, you know, you have to manage unit by unit. So then you do manage unit by unit when the drought subsides and it, and it should at some point, right. And things are good. You're, you're still, we're still going to have unit by unit. We're still going to have the draw. That's not going to, it's not just going to say, Oh, the drought's over and we've got so many more animals. We're just going to loosen up the restrictions and let anybody hunt. It's not going to happen, but they will give more tags. And, and, and I think that's where we're kind of, it's who knows what 20 years brings, you just don't know. Um, but with we've also had, and Adam touched on it, with the change in technology, people are being more receptive to understanding that there needs to be some restriction to technology. People are being a little, a bit more recept, receptive to that. There are people that say, and we went through this baiting issue here in Utah, and we went through, of course, we're dealing with trail cameras and seasons on trail cameras, and don't tell me what I can and can't do, and the government overreach of telling me yeah arizona too right yeah and arizona you can't you can't do any cameras at all and and i i don't necessarily like that i i think the season's fine but these are personal things i I, i'm not living down there i'm not going to necessarily you know tell them how how they should run it if they don't want to have cameras fine Uh, having said that we all there's a lot of people that are starting to understand that you know what we probably have taken it too far we have cellular cams. We have, you know, the Onyx stuff that we've talked about. I mean, do you ever, I mean, Jim, Jim you come, come out here in the West. Do you ever feel like you're going to get lost? Do you ever feel like you have the potential to get lost anymore? I mean, nobody feels like they're going to get lost anymore. Like we, yeah, you know what I mean? So you're not scared resources. to travel. Yeah. You know, yep. you can, you can, you know, inreach your way out of a bad circumstance in the middle of nowhere. You just, yep. people are more confident to go to these crazy far out places where, you know, it just used to be the old crusty guy that did it. You know, I was willing to do Paper it. Paper map and a compass. Yeah. And pray. Yeah. And so, you know, ag- agencies are going to continue to manage. And when there's when there's more animals on the on the landscape, if, if the drought were to let up or say, uh, you know, a good long-term span of time where there wasn't winter kill in winter kill sensitive areas, um, then you're seeing an influx of quality and numbers and whatnot. And that's what we've seen a little bit of that in Wyoming. We've seen a little, a a positive note up there. Now we're all cautiously optimistic. This winter won't kill everything, 
but it seems pretty good, you know. And so those are those are kind of some bright spots. And so I think overall you're going to have bright spots are going to come and go, but the 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 over the counter opportunities or the you know tags for everyone, no matter how many people come, you can't hurt our deer. Uh, you know those things; those times are gone. You know, yeah. And it just it just kind of kind of is what it is. I we're personally glad that some states are addressing uh, technology a bit, and and uh, you know a lot of people that are. I don't know if you call it anti-government. They just don't want to see the change. They're okay with the technology, uh, and and uh, they just don't want to. They they want to lump it into an overreach. But you know, I think a lot a lot of those guys will say, "Well, cow calls are 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 a technology." I mean, you're gonna you should if you're gonna take away a long range rifle, you should take away a cow call. You know, yeah. and and there you gotta like. They're just not being reasonable. They're throwing everything in there so that it muddies the water enough that no change happens. Uh, as a as a commission, Utah commission, you know, board, big game board, looking at potential change, you could muddy the water pretty fast by saying range finders, scopes, period on rifles should be back to single shot, uh, open sight rifle or whatever. Like you could go so far that pretty soon they just yeah, they <laughs> throw their hands in the air and there's no change made. And and those guys are doing that, so there is no change. And and yet, everybody knows that that the challenges are real, and we need to be able to do what we can do to limit take to a degree. And if that's just flat out letting everybody use what they want and cutting tags, then okay, we'll slash tags, and you only draw once every twenty years, no matter where it is or what it is, you know. But nobody yeah, wants to but- do that either, right? Nobody wants to do that either. So anyway, it, it's a challenge, no matter what state you're talking about. Do, do you think the the hunting industry from top to bottom is doing enough to to uh, curtail the struggles of mule deer? Or do you think that people are aware of it? Maybe it just doesn't get as publicized enough, or are you doing more? <clears throat> I think pretty out west people. I don't. know. There's no state that that is unaware of it. There's sportsmen groups or yeah. things like that, and yeah, to a large extent, I would say most fish and game agencies within those states understand that they have mule deer working groups that are cross multiple state boundaries. I mean, back when I was a biologist, I, you know, I contribute to the Utah portion of the Westwide Mule Deer Working Group, and there's lots of publications written upon that research-based stuff. So it's it's got a lot of attention, a lot of attention, and it continues to because of, like we just kept talking about, the sensitivity of mule deer compared to other big game species like elk and all that that just tend to manage themselves. So, yeah, I think there's enough said, but I, I do think that um, they're, they're, they're always learning about a, a little bit more when it comes to, you know, whether that be, you know, these collaring studies, migration studies, and where we're now understanding how big some of these migrations have, have uh, even in Utah, not just some of the ones we've all read about in Wyoming, but even in Utah, that certain arbitrary boundaries that are usually made by highways to define our units in Utah are really not really capturing what's going on within that geographical hunt, quote, unit for a deer herd. And there's a lot being learned there, and there's a lot to be then applied to, you know, same thing when it comes to predation or mountain lions or things like that on a larger scale or coyote control or things like that. So, unfortunately, I think, yes, you know, sportsmen's groups and sportsmen in general know about it. 
the the difficulty is getting them both to obviously agree what the main cause is when in reality there's a lot of factors and it's different across the state. Northern Utah is prone to winter loss. We don't hardly ever have any winter loss in extreme Southern Utah. I I don't know how we could do it. It's drought down here. It's it's drought is the number one factor. Even within a state, it changes. Up there, they have big issues with, you know, urbanization on winter range. That's where people have to build. They build in the valley floors and the benches and all that. Down here, we have to that to some extent, but we don't have the population base to make that a big limiting factor. Don't have that on the Arizona Strip. You don't have that in Southern Nevada. You don't have winter range being gobbled up. That's not the limiting factor. It's other things. So the, the challenge is having each unit get their right prescription for each unit and having enough resources to maybe make something happen for yeah, each and unit. each state has, that's exactly right. What Adam's saying is each state has their own challenges, and that's why they have, each state manages their own you know, their own animals and, and they have a board and they're doing the best they can. in in many cases, um, you know, we don't necessarily agree with Colorado hunting mule deer in the rut with a rifle. If I, if I said, if I figured somebody had it wrong, that, that would be it, you know, is, is I don't think you should just, you know, let, let us all same with Montana. I mean, same with Montana. Montana. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think you should let us all hunt pre rut rut and post rut on winter ranges with, with rifles and all the technology we have. And they're giving out tons, tons of tags and they're not necessarily managing for quality. They're a lot of times they're managing for CWD and trying to limit, actually trying to, you know, to bring the average age down and, uh, you know, to, to combat that. And so that's their perceived problem is that CWD is one of our big issues. And that's a, a whole nother topic. Um, and, and yeah, that's a wormhole. For right. Sure. It, it is right. But, and they also, you know, a lot of times they're managing for elk, not necessarily deer. That's their bread and butter is over the counter elk. And, and, uh, you know, their seasons are structured. So you hunt deer and elk at the same time during second and third rifles. And so, you know, they'll change a season date to, you know, it, that affects elk. And then we have unintended consequences, which actually hurts deer, uh, meaning we're hunting, you know, deer further in the rut or, or later in the year and uh, and not adjusting tag numbers because, well, we kind of wanted to see the average age come down anyway. And and so, you know, we're seeing the results of that. A lot of frustrated people that are not finding mature bucks or a good or even a decent number of mature bucks. And so... You know, there's there's those challenges, and I think that's a that's a, a state that it, I mean, for deer wise, regards to deer only, uh, and our perception is that uh, you know it's not proper management to hunt in the rut with a rifle, I- anything for the most part. Uh, there is some limited hunting with in the rut with a rifle here in Utah for elk or or deer in certain cases, and and Arizona in certain cases limited, um, and and those are fine, and that provides really cool opportunities for people that have lots of points or or get super lucky in the draw, and I think that's awesome. There's some really cool opportunities out there, but for the most part, if that's the crux of your big game management is in and around November rifle hunting seasons for deer, well, I I don't think that's that's not you know exactly what I'm in favor of. So. You know, but but they get to choose, and, and we have to deal with it a bit, and, and we're a guest in their state, state, so to speak, so we'll continue to hunt it as best we can. It just just feels frustrating. But a lot of times, you know, it, you know like Adam talked about, we deal with drought, and up north deals with more winter and, and uh, you know, people populations, people growing and urbanization and whatnot, and those are real factors. And I think the states 
are paying attention. I, I think they're doing a dang good job. Um, are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. And and we can always look back and say, man, they they did it wrong. Like, did you could you could you imagine a worse year in whatever unit A or B or all the units or whatever? But we've seen where they've lessened the you know the restrictions on lion tags here in Utah. And we've seen a good uh, a favorable increase of deer. Um, appears to be because of that there's there's things like that i think states are doing and working on and and are um cognizant of i think the sometimes i think as time goes along people don't know how good it was 30 40 50 years ago because the people that were here gone you know what i mean right and so we're managing for the new norm what's the new normal that unit's never had those kind of deer numbers well it did It, it did you just weren't alive then you know, yeah. So we're yeah, managing for we're managing for a new norm, and uh, you know we're seeing when we get excited when we see a slight uptick, and the old timers are like, "You haven't seen nothing." You know, <laughs> I wouldn't even start my truck. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so, anyway, lots of lots of challenges. I think the states are aware of it. I even think Colorado's aware of it. I think they choose it. Well, so. I think one positive as we wrap this up. I think one positive takeaway of all the things we've talked about is that when at the end of the day there's still big bucks being shot and there's still pockets like you said of mule deer that are thriving and as hunters we need to find those pockets and do our due diligence and there are big bucks out there to be had yeah for the people that want them but if they want there's plenty of opportunity for antlerless and and just just to go hunting too. You know what I mean. But but yeah, if, you, if you're a trophy hunter, there's there's opportunities for you. That's for sure. And that's you know you got to gain points to capitalize on on a good portion of them. And then the, and then you can you can like some people you can uh, you can buy your way into some some opportunities. But you know just opportunities as a whole you know are it it takes it takes a little bit of knowledge and and uh networking with companies like ours or or people or whatnot to to make sure you capitalize on some of those right on i uh i appreciate you guys taking the time to to talk mule deer and and uh you know this is this has been great and you know i uh i really appreciate it guys well, absolutely. Pretty easy to talk about. Something you really like and love and getting fired up about. And <clears throat> So none of us have had rejection notices yet, so we're all fired up <laughs> until we're not. So um, Yeah, but, right? But to, to, to echo what Jason just said as well, yeah, we're, you're not going to keep trying because you, you may have to think differently, hunt differently, hunt different places, different weapon types, um, and be willing to be unsuccessful a little bit more here and there. But, but that's just the reality of the, the current state that we're in in terms of getting mule deer tags in multiple states every year or trying to do that is you got to do it differently. You can't just sit dead red waiting for the best tags and draw them and hope to go kill giant bucks. It's just not reality, and it's not going to happen for most people. So got to make your own fortune, make your own luck with a lot of effort, time, preparation, and willingness to go out and just give it, give it your best. We're pretty passionate, Jim. You can probably tell that. And and Absolutely. Adam's got an opinion for sure. Uh, <laughs> I'm not opinionated. Uh. <laughs> I have no opinion. 
<laughs> anyway, no, but you can, I mean, you know, just we can pitch our website, epicoutdoors.com, if you want to learn more about what we've got going on. Jim, you're, if anybody, yeah, yeah. if anybody out there's asking you about it, why well, send them there. Happy to visit with guys and, and whatnot. But anyway, all species. Absolutely. Western big game. That's it. We're not talking about Pennsylvania too much there, Jim. No. So no, we'll no, give them your number. No, <laughs> <laughs> we'll post up your no, number. I, 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 I want to keep it all to myself. <laughs> Don't blame you there, buddy. No. Well, thanks a lot for again for having us. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah, you too, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Jim. All right. Thanks. You bet.